0: Welcome to OnScript's Biblical World, a podcast exploring the history, archaeology, geography, and cultures of the Bible. Visit us at onscript.study/biblical-world. Hey, Biblical World podcast listeners, this is Matt Lynch coming to you from Regent College in Vancouver. We have a very special episode for you with Nathan Steinmeier of Biblical Archaeology Review. Uh, slash Biblical Archaeology Society, and uh, we're going to be talking about how to connect with a dig, and uh, BAR does an, uh, an issue each year that explores the different digs and what they're doing and how to get connected with them. So some of you have dug before and some of you are interested in that and maybe don't even realize that it's something that anyone who can at least afford to pay the airfare and volunteer uh, costs to go over can participate in an archaeological dig at some of these really exciting sites uh, connected with biblical locations. So uh, we hope you enjoy this episode and thanks so much for listening. Here we go.
1: Welcome back, Biblical World listeners. Uh, We are excited today. I'm joined by Kyle Keimer, uh, and both of us are really excited today to talk with Nathan Steinmeier of Biblical Archaeology Review slash Biblical Archaeology Society. And today we are talking about Biblical Archaeology's review, their their Big Dig uh, issue where they talk about all the major excavation projects related to the wider biblical world. And this is a really exciting thing to think about because this is really how so many people get interested in archaeology and archaeology of the lands of the Bible. And it's so exciting for us as the Biblical World Podcast to maybe be that first touchstone where you not just hear about the lands of the bible and the peoples of the bible and their culture but you take part in actually excavating it yourself what do you think about that kyle
2: i think that's great chris and you know i'm i'm excited because i think about excavating and i just i love doing it i love being in the field i love every element of it even waking up early in the morning and i know you share a lot of the this affinity and so talking about this and then providing resources to get other people interested in this and get them into the field um you know that, that also is something I really enjoy doing because I love seeing people experience it for the first time, getting their hands dirty, literally, and just finding, finding ancient things.
1: Right. From the scratches on your leg, from the winter overbrush to the muddy drain inside of the shower, excavation is a lot of fun and a lot of work. And so we're excited that Nathan's going to give us some insight into how you can become part of these different digs. But first... Let's uh, talk to Nathan about his background, because he doesn't just work for Biblical Archaeology Society as an editor, he's also a scholar in his own right. He's uh, living in Israel now, and I wanted to tell us a little bit about his own uh, background and his current work as he's working on a PhD.
3: Yeah, um, thanks, Chris. Yeah, So I'm kind of, as you mentioned, yeah, I I work as an assistant editor for Biblical Archaeology Review, um, but... My my main area of interest is actually in Assyriology, um, which is what I'm doing my, my PhD in right now, um, actually focusing kind of on the late old Babylonian period, uh, kind of the, the kingdom right after Hammurabi, um, looking at kind of the periphery of that kingdom, um, seeing how it declines and eventually collapses and kind of asking questions about the social makeup of this kingdom and plate like uh, different villages kind of during this time of, of collapse. Um, cause I, I know we all like to talk about the, the big bronze age collapse. Um, and we kind of forget that there were lots of other collapses that have happened kind of all over and each one ends up looking a little different and affects cultures and societies a little bit different. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking at more on a sociological perspective. Um, reading all of these tablets and uh, whatnot, um, really trying to dig into the culture and society of the ancient Near East.
2: already sounds like we have another episode lined up here. So when you finish this, uh, let us know because we'll have you back on and talk about that. That sounds pretty yeah, interesting. Uh, it'll take yeah, a while, but
1: <laughs> I, I think it's interesting too, um, you know, and even then that what we're talking about, like, we're so fascinated on this podcast to deal with every window aspect of the wider biblical world and if we just think about how we're collecting material that provides insights into the biblical you might even say worlds or lands that are around it um what we're talking about today is opportunities to go add more like you know to to go dig up more at you know 30 different sites that are happening in throughout throughout of all 2023 but the stuff you're working on um, you really can't go back to uh, you can't uh, go to babylon right now Uh, and here and there there is some things that happen in mesopotamia uh, and yet it too is still a absolutely necessary part of uncovering the wider uh, world of the ancient near east in which the biblical story happened Uh, and so it's just always fun to compare uh, and look at the stuff that's been collected in great quantities in the 19th and 20th century, uh, and we're still kind of working through it, um, and we'll have probably to do so for centuries to come. Uh, and yet, also now that we're still collecting it, but we're doing it in much different ways than we're previously done 100 to 150 plus years ago. Uh, so that's that's cool to see, um, you know, just the different the different realities. Um, so let's talk about this excavation issue. Um, I've been a subscriber to BAR for a long time. Um, I've always enjoyed uh, the issues. In fact, I got the issue, uh, the recent one, and I was really excited to uh, see the premiere article on uh, when did December 25th become Christmas? And I actually would like to even do an episode on that uh, that idea because I think it's really interesting and always brings really interesting topics um, that are geared towards a popular level uh, audience, and yet it doesn't uh, dumb down the quality of what the scholarship actually says, and and so let's let's get in and talk about this specific issue that's coming up and how um, it can help us with excavations because I think Kyle actually. Uh, got interested in archaeology
2: because of Biblical Archaeology Review. Is that right, Kyle? Yeah, you know, coming up in January of this this next year will be 23 years since the first episode of or first um, issue of BAR that I purchased. I was a, a college student. Struggling with my major at the time, which required a lot of mathematics, which I could not do, and so I said, "Ah, you know, I've always liked archaeology. Let me check this out." And I found an issue of Bar. It was the dig issue, and I actually ended up finding my first excavation via that issue, and ended up going to Caesarea Maritima. Loved it changed my major when i got back and then the rest has been history so i yeah i enjoy bar and i and like chris said i mean it, it provides such a great resource to to so many people in a way that is far more accessible than any old scholarly journal and so i think it's it's a great avenue and, and particularly this this issue with all the the excavations that are out there is a, is a great resource
1: yeah and I- yeah i i would even say maybe we could even start off with the fact that Caesarea Maritima is one of the it was one of the excavations that's listed here, and you know, as you were saying that, you said twenty three years ago, um, that means that Caesarea, even between the time that you went there twenty three years ago until today, is being excavated longer than it took Herod to build <laughs> <laughs> the the port and everything else. That that's how long excavations. Uh, take and that's just kind of an interesting thing. So, so let's dive into and talk about some of these some of these excavations. Can you summarize, Nathan, uh, why our listeners should use uh, this resource uh, to go on to this to some of these excavations, such as Caesarea Maritime?
3: Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that Biblical Archaeology Review and Biblical Archaeology Society really prides ourselves in is really providing this full list of different ways that you can get connected as someone who isn't an expert, um, different ways that you can get connected to archaeology, either by studying it or different ways you can get connected to archaeology by actually doing it, kind of as as Kyle was saying. And it's been one of the greatest things that I've experienced since I started working here um, of talking to all different people who got their start because of you know, what they saw, a, a dig that they saw in biblical archaeology review. And so um, I, I'll be honest, it's, it's one of those things when you dig, it's really like almost nothing else that you can do. Uh, I know growing up, I, I remember I would every now and then I'd go to the, my backyard in South Dakota and start digging a hole because I was interested in what might be there. I never found anything, but I I remember as a kid that that was something that interests me, interested me. But then when I first got on site at a dig and I started actually (laughs) moving dirt and I started seeing these tiny pieces of ceramic, it really changed the entire way that I think about archeology, span but it also changed the entire way that I really think about history and about the ancient world. Um, And that's something that, really happens to almost everyone when they go on their first dig. I think I've talked to so many people when I've gone out to different sites to to do interviews or to talk to excavators. I've, I've spoken to so many people who have said things about how it really changed the entire way that they view a particular period or a particular topic. Um, I know we had one student um, who was in the field this past this past summer? Um, who we gave a scholarship to? Who was looking at ancient monasteries um, up by the Galilee? And he said that well, everyone else was kind of digging these exquisite uh, basilicas and whatnot. He was focused on the monasteries and he was thinking about the people who actually lived here, the monks who went around went about their daily activities in this site, and it really connects you to the ancient past in a way that nothing else can. Um, And no matter who you are, whether you are a uh, a student studying archaeology or whether you are a 60 year old middle school teacher who is just curious. uh, I know I've I've seen people at digs who are pushing 90. So realistically, no matter who you are, I think archaeology and coming on a dig is such an incredible way to get connected to the past and learn about it in a way that you never would otherwise. Um, And so that's what we hear at Bar with this kind of list of different digs that we put together are hoping to help people to do, show them all of the different opportunities that are out there.
1: I would say that um, one of the most common questions I get from, you know when I when I've led it, led a it group to Israel or maybe it's a subscriber to the podcast that asks a question like I, you mentioned Borna or Qubur uh, Rai or these excavations and they'll say well what do I have to do to excavate like what what school do I have to go to what certificate do I have to go and do before I can come and dig um, and my answer is always uh, all you need to do is get on a plane and and come up to the excavation because. It is um, something that is self-taught. It's taught through the excavators. It happens on site that you get your uh, that you get your training, and so it, it really is meant to be done. Yes, by professionals who know how to guide and direct these excavations. But f- uh, archaeology is for everyone, and in fact, it has to be for everyone to uh, continue and to survive because the results that we are producing both in terms of the data that we're we're gathering but also our interpretations of the data they need to be for for everyone to consume and understand not just scholarship and so i think that um what i appreciate about what biblical archaeology review does with these with these is they make that accessible to people and so i think that's a, a a great resource and to also kind of riff off of uh, Which are both indicating, I would say, um, we all come to the question of of biblical history and archaeology, you know, reality versus uh, fiction and things like that. And we're all, and many of us are coming from a background connected with understanding the Bible. Maybe that's our first entry point into why we would get in, interested in archaeology. But my appeal to 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 everyone would be archaeology that has nothing to do with the Bible is still awesome. Like Archaeology in general, when you do it, whether it be in North America, South America, Europe, Africa, it's you have this unique experience of uncovering, being the first person for hundreds, thousands of years to uncover and trying to reconstruct the past. And so I think that there's just a Built-in level of cool uh, and level of excitement that if you don't have when you go to a project, maybe archaeology isn't for you. But I found many people have that, and then if you are uh, also interested in the Bible and what these materials can tell you about the larger biblical world, it it does need double excitement because you both have the the human level of trying to reconstruct how this happened, but then also how do these uh, Lower-level discussions about a particular site. How does that fit in with the bigger biblical questions that are being asked? And and I actually think that also mirrors most people's experience on a site, like we might come to the site thinking, well, I want to dig Kiribit Arai because the 11th and 10th century are really interesting. And I want to know about David and Solomon and, and you know what, why this isn't Ziklag, or why it might be. Um, but, whoa, but really, whoa whoa. whoa, whoa, okay. Well, that's another that's an episode for another time. Okay, well, you're right, Kyle. But, but really what ends up being is, okay, how long is it going to take for me to dig through this uh, half a meter <laughs> To straighten my bulk, to get it down to the level of just the practical side of digging a square hole in the ground that's straight and cataloging everything. And so you have this push and pull between the function and practice of archaeology, while also in the background the whole time, you're thinking, well what might this mean for this one story at this one site, and what that might this mean for the larger story? And I think what's so cool about that is you see the nitty-gritty, but you also see that this always adding something interesting and new
2: yeah chris i think that you know just to run off your point with this idea of of story i mean that's the i think one of the driving narratives of archaeology is that we're we're both uncovering ancient stories but then reconstructing them simultaneously so that we today have a better understanding of what was taking place in antiquity and whether it's finding a smallest piece of pottery to an inscription to a giant building it's all part of the story and yeah there's different elements you you got to do the nitty gritty work which you know i find enjoyable myself but then from that you you build the story you build the narrative and so every step of the way there are multiple phases or multiple levels of of work that need to be done and in my experience people that come on digs maybe they don't like every single element of that but they're always interested in in one or more parts of that story and in contributing to how that story is told and how we can grow and better understand the story that we're telling
1: yeah absolutely so i I would transition a bit here and say we've talked about the fun things that happen on a dig things that are enjoyable and you could add a lot of things like you know you meet longtime friends sometimes people meet their spouse there uh sometimes you start these great relationships in the academy but i might ask nathan what has been your least favorite
3: part of an excavation um it you know every excavation is a little different um sometimes there is an excavation that puts you up in a super fancy hotel. And sometimes there's an excavation where you are sleeping on the ground in a tent. And, you know, I, I love the process of excavating, but I really don't like sleeping in a tent, especially on the, like the hard ground. You know, you, you have to wake up super early in the morning and your back is aching and you're still tired and you know there are many many great things about excavating that is that if i could have one thing that i wouldn't experience in a dig it would it would be that
2: yeah that reminds for me of sure. a story one year we end up sleeping in a guy's garage in cyprus <laughs> Fortunately, there was one bed. Everyone else had to sleep on. Well, they had cots, so it's a little bit better than the floor. But the one bed got raffled off to yours truly, and I got to sleep like a king for the entire season. So I really can't relate to sleeping in a, on the floor. I just want to point that out.
3: Yeah. No. Yeah. I know, so so go ahead. Uh, th- this past this past summer, I did an excavation over by an- in Getty. And we were, we were sleeping in a date orchard and it was one of like a really weird experience because it's this beautiful, beautiful place. And, you know, late at night you would sit there like looking up at the stars through the, the date palms and, and you're thinking like, this is so serene and perfect. And then you go to bed, wake up the next morning and you feel like garbage, (laughs)
1: Yeah, I, I would say um, s- sweeping and sleeping. Those are the two, <laughs> they rhyme. Wow. Uh, those are the two things that are uh, difficult about excavations, but the overall experience of being together uh, for a month with people that you really enjoy and become lifetime friends um, is the best thing of an excavation. Not even the the digging itself, but the camaraderie of really lifetime uh, colleagues and friends, and continuing to add more to that year after year is is the best thing. Uh, one thing that, you, that you kind of reminded me of in digging at Getty, I assume you did that in the in the winter months. And if we look at some of the the, the roster that you have here. Um, Most people, when they think about excavations, they think about it happening in the hot, dry months of June, July, and August. And that is certainly the case for many excavation projects, mostly because um, the time that uh, students are off are in the summer, and the time that the uh, professors are off is in the summer. But there are some projects that happen um, in the winter, Um, and I'm thinking especially of the uh, very interesting project at Timna uh, in the Arava uh, next to a lot. I believe it happens most of the time in January and February. And so this dig issue will also give you some um, the the different calendars that allow you to have um, to plan out when you want to actually go on an excavation or maybe you even want to go on two excavations, one in the summer uh, and get really sweaty uh, and then one in the winter um, that you can enjoy, uh, and I'd even have to put on some, uh, put on some winter clothes in some instances. I, my personal favorite time to dig, uh, is like September and April. Uh, I, I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, I wish that the calendar was different because digging in September or April is like Uh, it's just amazing like you're like oh you don't actually even need any shade it's just it's really really pleasant and so that is certainly a consideration uh when you are thinking through listener about where you want to dig what month it is uh and how warm you want to be if you're a warm weather person or a cool weather person that's something uh to uh think about um but let's get back to our questions what kind of things do you learn on a dig nathan
3: Ooh, I mean, it depends a little bit. I mean, kind of with I'm, I'm sure all of these questions, I'll, I'll have to do a little bit of a caveat, but it depends a little bit on where you're digging, obviously, um, what period and, and how much you already know. Um, I know a lot of people who first go on a dig where it's their first time, they're learning things like how to tell the difference between mud brick and dirt. I, my, my first dig experience, I was down at, um, Ella, uh, Ella uh, down by Kira got, and we had mud brick everywhere and it was impossible to tell the difference between the mud brick and dirt and over slowly over weeks. You just, it's something you pick up. Um, and that's kind of something that happens at all dig sites Um, No matter what level of experience you have, you're going to get to the site and there's going to be things that you just do not understand at all. Um, Maybe it's how to tell the difference between all of these different sorts of pottery, um, how to differentiate your strata, all of these sorts of things. You're going to get on site and you, if this is your first time, you're probably not going to know a single darn thing. But slowly working with your square supervisors, the directors of the dig, you will be amazed by the time you're done after a couple of weeks, after a couple of months. You're gonna have a completely new understanding of how
2: to dig. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and, I, and go ahead. Go ahead. I think, I think it comes back to the point Chris had mentioned earlier too of you know, what kind of experience do you need to go on an excavation? Well, the answer really is none. all you have to have is some interest and a willingness to kind of learn and and put in a little bit of work. You might know absolutely nothing about the pottery or even the history or this or that, but if you're you're working in the field, you're going to pick it up. People are going to be teaching you, your square supervisors, the directors of the digs will be teaching. Most excavations have uh, an academic program that they run as well. So they'll give you lectures in the evening. They'll do special teaching sessions on how to read pottery. That's that is, what, how do you date the pottery that you're actually digging? Many of them will take you on weekend tours to show you the other parts of the country. So you're not just in one little location, but you get a whole experience of, of the country. This is particularly true in, in Israel, but other countries as, as well. And so you, you can come with any level of expertise and find a place and probably find something new to learn and or help teach other people that don't have the background you have.
1: Yeah, I would just add to that and say, um, almost thinking of it as like um, how fluent you're going to be become with material and terminology. Like, and some of this will depend on, you know, your level of interest and your level of desire to continue on and and become more and more part of an excavation. But just thinking about, um, you know, the most common thing you say as an area supervisor is, "That's just a rock." <laughs> Um, And then, and that's okay. And eventually you'll, you'll understand that that is just a rock and I can, I can throw it, but sometimes that's a rock and that's actually an artifact, but knowing and feeling, you know, what you're supposed to uh, be looking for and what you're doing and getting your comfort level of this is what my job is. And I'm going to continue working on it. And anything that deviates from what I'm used to, which is brown dirt. Oh, suddenly there's uh, smashed pottery on it that's all in the same direction. Uh, okay, that might be interesting. And, and just knowing how to feel um, with more experience. Um, you know, the difference between a living surface that you're digging versus topsoil. Um, and then learn, also learning the skill of digging, as I said before, digging straight. Because I always like to say, um, we can't control what we're going to find. We can control how we excavate it, uh, which is the whole point of why we dig in squares, because that is that is our level of control. I would say also, um, and I can only speak from the experience I have at, at uh, Tel Borna, and I know other excavations are doing this as well, is one new thing that I've seen even in the 15 years or so I've been um, an archaeologist is... There is now very clearly a push to integrate all kinds of new technologies and new types of analyses in the field, some of which are experimental, some of which have become um, industry standard, you might say, or archaeology standard. Things like um, taking C14, for, uh, for example, or paleomagnetism we've had in the field uh and and even phd uh projects such as there's one that's being done at the university of tel aviv right now where they're testing um how mud bricks might have been made and then recycled for other types of mud brick and you actually just take the mud brick and see what was recycled and what wasn't Um, and we also have uh, the use of residue analysis in the field uh, the use of a whole array of of new types of analyses, but also even the equipment we're using, um, some of which hasn't changed. You still need a trowel. You still need a patiche, You still need a pickaxe, a taria, and so on. And there's a longstanding debate between bucket and goofa. Um, I, I've become a convert to the goofa over the years, but there are new tools um the use of uh, of ipads uh and other type of tablets for registration the use of fo- uh, photogrammetry not as some people call it photogrammetry which is something else um related, related to the lord of the rings um but we use that in the field every day and so we're, we're taking things that are uh that are used even in in construction and engineering for putting buildings together and it's kind of uh, poetic. We're actually using those to discover and catalog things that used to be buildings and are now destroyed to reconstruct what they might have looked like. And so that's another. Just I think if, if you're if you're techie and um, interested in that technological use um, of of how we can utilize those in the field, I think it's it's very interesting. And even on another poetic level, um, you you could probably define archaeology as um, the study and development and change of technology at least that's one way to kind of define it Uh, and it's always kind of ironic that uh, many archaeologists (laughs) are opposed to using uh, newer types of technology even though their job is to study the development of technology Um, so it's just kind of a fun dynamic you can have on different excavations but i would say that's something that uh, i've experienced um, as more and more um, things like, again, mobile devices, drones, that they're so usable now that they're not specialized. So you could might find yourself on an excavation, if you know how to operate a drone, uh, the director might say, well, oh, you, you know how to use a drone? Well, why don't you fly the drone for us? Uh, and, and there's all kinds of new things that we are adding to our ability to discover more and more data and look at it in different ways on excavation projects.
3: Yeah, and that's a great point of that. There's so many different jobs you can have on a dig site. Um, I kind of, like I said earlier, I've been to digs where there were people who are basically 90 years old who were there, who um, sometimes, depending on their fitness level, they are digging alongside everyone else. And sometimes they are the people who are writing down a lot of things. They are recording stuff. They're doing a lot more of the administrative side of things. Um I I personally I quite enjoy hard labor so I'm always the person moving the dirt. Um but you know a dig site has a job for almost anyone.
1: It does yeah, and sometimes is, you even true. have to find sometimes you even have to find jobs for people uh that don't want to do them. <laughs> and that's also part of the whole process.
2: yeah so i mean really just to highlight yet again the point i mean digs are for everybody and anybody and and there's there's no limit to what needs to be done on the excavation or what you can do and again if you have the expertise in something make that known because that might help you stand out and find a new job that's I mean, one of the things that archaeologists should always be doing as is, is contemplating new approaches to excavating and recovering the material. And we're not all knowing. Um, Chris is much more knowing than I am, but, but um, we, uh, that was supposed to be fine. I thought they were laughing at me. Maybe they're not. I'm laughing, laughing at, at you. I'm laughing. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Mostly <laughs> at me though. That's good. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, I lost my point of train or my train of thought now, but anyway, yes. Anyone can be working on on excavations and and contributing in ways that are leading us to to think in n- new ways of how we're gonna recover the material and what we can do with some of the other things that are outside the field that have always traditionally been outside the field. So we're always happy to take things on.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I, related to that, this is not the first time Barr has been issuing an issue called the dig issue it's been around for a while how long have they been doing this um you know why did they start doing it you might say and um maybe you could just give us a history of how this whole thing started
3: yeah so um bar has been doing this kind of a uh, dig issue more or less since the magazine started i think um kind of looking back in our i mean It's been going on since long before I was born, but looking back in our our records, um, the kind of the earliest I could see is that we've been doing this at least since uh, 1976. Um, So we're going on 50 plus years of. Talking about ways that people can get involved in archaeology in the holy land in the mediterranean region um and you know it's i think one of the driving forces is precisely that of the the best way for people to understand archaeology to understand biblical history to understand ancient history whether that's related to the bible or not is so often to get involved to actually get your hands dirty, uh, because you'll have a completely new appreciation for it, and I, th- I think, in many ways, that was one of the driving forces behind, kind of the creation of Bar as a magazine, and this idea of kind of promoting digs. Yeah, and I, and and I, I would even say to
2: forget. To... I think it's easy to forget too that Bar. Yeah, you know, first appeared in the in the 70s. So this was well before the internet. And so how how were people finding out about these digs and what was their their resource? Well, Bar was the place that pulled it all together for you. So you you had access to some of the information about these digs. So you could go there. It's continued now with the digital age, with the internet, and you know the, their own website. But it, it served this this purpose for the longest time and has been a leader in the field and drawing these resources together to make it accessible for everyone.
3: Yeah, and I know. So now we have this wonderful website um, where we collect all of the dig information, where we kind of put it out there completely free of charge for anyone to come and look and get involved. Um, and so, and we're not quite as uh, we're not promoting them quite as hard through our print magazine now as as we used to, because obviously a lot more people are looking for them online than they are in finding uh an issue of a a magazine but it really is even even today we are really one of the foremost ways for people to get involved in archaeology here in the holy land um and that's i've talked to a lot of a lot of excavators who have said things um along the lines of well Half of the people who are digging here only heard about this excavation because they saw it in the pages of Barr or on Barr's website or, or what have you. Um, and as someone who has only been involved with Barr for a couple of years, it's really incredible for me to see, um, to kind of realize the, the tradition and history that I am now a part of.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would also say that it's not just that Barr... <clears throat> excuse me, Not just it's not just that Barr has listed all these together and given you the information. They're also actually offering ways for you to go and do those financially. They, they've had for a number of years, uh, BAS uh, dig scholarships. Um, and I think this is just an absolutely great way, especially for uh, someone who has no experience in archaeology, who may be considering archaeology as uh, a possible major or as a possible career path, uh, to just apply for one of these uh, one of these scholarships. It's one of a few places, um, that uh, that offers these types of scholarships. And I know, as a as an archaeologist, we are very happy we, uh, to have these um, scholarship uh, recipients on our project. Um, and so, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the the, the BAS dig scholarships. How many are available each year? Um, and then uh, how many are are uh, you know what type of scholarships are available?
3: Yeah. So we've been offering, um, scholarships since, uh, I think 1993. So right about 30 years. Um, and when it started, we were giving away two scholarships a year. Uh, but now we've, we're giving away many more than that. I think, um, I think currently we're giving away around eight to 10 per year, um, depending on the, the applicants. Um, but, I want to stress you don't have to be a uh, a student thinking about becoming an archaeologist you could be a a teacher you could be a, a pastor you could be almost anything and apply for for one of these scholarships we don't we don't have any sort of uh, parameters where you have to fit into this special little box in order to apply and get one of these scholarships um and so they they're I believe right now there are two thousand um, dollars per scholarship, which, as someone who has been on these excavations, I know that is money that can really be the uh, the make or break for some people of if you can come. Because let's face it, air, airplane tickets are not cheap. It is it is not cheap to come like uh, to to get all the way to the Middle East if you live in America. Now, maybe if you live in Greece, it's not so bad, but for a lot of people, it can be a challenge. And so that's one of the things that that we at uh, Biblical Archaeology Society are really hoping to, to help with. Um, and over the years, we've given out almost somewhere in the realm of 400 of these scholarships to different... Uh, different students. And I know there have been a a handful of time where we've also given out bigger um, grants to excavations. Uh, We haven't done that in a while, but I know back in the old days when Herschel Shanks, our founder, um, when he was around, there were were a handful of times where we gave out kind of grants to excavations to help with this, uh, to help with students as well.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would just add to this for our listeners to, I, I, another question I always get is, well, who's funding an excavation project? And the answer is no one. <laughs> the answer is unless a director goes through the tedious process of wooing someone to provide uh, money specifically for excavation and publication. Now that can be a private person, private donor, or that can be a a government grant um, in Europe, the U.S., or in in, in Israel. But that's a a very tedious process, and that's part of the job of uh, the director of projects to to get the funding required to carry out the, the process. But in many cases, that's just to cover the analysis. That's just to cover... Um, the specialists that need to be paid to carry out their work. And so the, the the role of actually getting the material, that is excavating in the field, is heavily reliant upon people participating, whether that be students in university, uh, pastors, plumbers, uh, and everywhere in between, teachers, uh, retired and, and so on uh, participating in this. And so um, for one, if you're interested, for sure pursue this and two if you do need assistance um apply for these types of scholarships and three if you don't need assistance and are interested and can't come it's always a great idea to donate uh to help to help these projects and these scholarship funds really flourish because as i said before this is everyone's material the 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 whole process of archaeology is really um a servant-led Uh, discipline we we, we have to be servants to humanity we have to be servants to to get this material to the wider world and part of that is the bottom line of being able to fund these excavations and i think uh bar is to be really commended for playing a major role in, in a couple sides of this equation
3: yeah um
1: so maybe maybe we can go ahead go ahead
3: sorry no no you
1: so, maybe we can, uh, as we're wrapping up here, maybe we can talk about a few of these different excavation projects and give some some teasers. Uh, and the first one that I see, I haven't even highlighted on my screen, is the Ofel excavations. Now, for your, for our listeners, for your readers, um, the Ofel will be very well known because of Eilat Mazar's excavations there, for many years, uh, which included the uncovering of, uh, first of all, a number of very important finds, but most especially uh, fortifications, which seem to date to the 10th century BC. It's the time of Solomon. And in more recent years, the uncovering of a Bula that has the name King Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, and also the so-called Isaiah, the prophet Bula, Um, And so Eilat Mazar unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago now. And so it sounds like there's new excavations in this same area. And the other thing I'd say about this, that's very interesting because there's recently been a major publication in Tel Aviv, which clearly shows that there is uh, 11th, 10th, and 9th century pottery in all of the levels that were excavated by Elat Mazar. And so, especially for our listeners that uh, do have an interest in this big kind of uh, controversial question of David and Solomon in Jerusalem, this might be a really interesting one to participate in.
3: Yeah. And I know the offal is one that's especially fascinating to me because I, I live in Jerusalem. So, so often I will, I will walk by it just right on a, random Tuesday um, and I'll kind of look out on the excavation area and I'm just fascinated constantly by all the different layers that they have there um and it's really a great reminder that Jerusalem as a city has been pretty much continually inhabited for a really 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 long time um, and it's it's one, both one of the reasons why archaeology of Jerusalem can be really challenging, but it's also one of the reasons why archaeology of Jerusalem can be so rewarding. Um, and I think for anyone who has the chance to experience that, it is really, really worth it um, to kind of be on site here in Jerusalem and dig into that, you know, all of the the archaeological debate that is involved with that
2: yeah and and even if that isn't your your thing i mean i'm looking at the list here too and you guys are going to be advertising some 20 24 digs or so most of which are in israel some in in other countries throughout the mediterranean um but again they they cover sites from all different regions of israel from the galilee in the north to jerusalem up in the mountains to timna down in the Arava in the south to the coast to the jordan valley i mean you've got a site so when you're looking at these resources pick and choose the part of the country you want to be in pick and choose the time periods that you're interested in there's something for everybody and again if you know a bit about the site coming in that's going to help you out and like chris said if you have a bit of background in in the, the recent excavations on the offal, that's only gonna make your experience even more, more engaging, more more meaningful because you're not coming in with a blank slate. And it's the same for any number of these other sites, some of which have been excavated for a long, long time, like Caesarea Maritima, others of which are fairly recent excavations that, or re-excavations, um, looking here, um, there's a couple excavations at the site of Laquiche um that have been going on for a couple years uh is still being excavated as well Tel shimron in the north has been going for a few years but and there's there's any number of possibilities for people to to pursue and all of this is going to be present not only in in the print publication and and, but then it's going to be online when you we go into the bas website to find these specific sites yeah and it's it's really one of those
3: things of almost no matter where you want to dig and what time period you want to dig, you'll be able to find something. Um, we, and we have sites here in Israel. We have sites in Jordan. We have a site in Turkey. Uh, last year we had a couple sites in Spain, um, a site in, um, Oh, uh, Carthage. We had ancient, ancient Carthage. I'm I'm blanking on what, what modern country that's in. Um, and then we have we have sites from all sorts of different time periods um we all the way back to the calcolithic um i know every now and then we'll have a site in like 16th century AD um so relatively modern um so you know whether you're interested in the Bible or not whether you want to study Edomites or you want to study um ancient Anatolia or the Greeks You know, we had like there there is all sorts of archaeology out there that is just waiting for volunteers.
1: So pick up that issue and then decide which one you want to go to. Go apply for a scholarship and of course, subscribe to Biblical Archaeology Review, the world leader in archaeology related to the Bible for a popular audience as a magazine. And uh, first of all, I'd like to just say thanks, Nathan so much for joining us on this uh, on this episode and trying to communicate um, Barr's uh, great motivation to get people uh, into the wider biblical world, which, of course, we share very deeply here at Biblical World Podcast. So thanks very much for uh, coming on. We look forward to future conversations to discuss things related to your work and dissertations and also maybe some future uh, um, biblical archeology span review writers coming in to talk about their different great issues that we have and some of which we mentioned here. Any final things to add, Kyle or Nathan?
2: No, you know, the well, yes. <laughs> One last thing I will, I will no, say yes. is that, yes, <laughs> no, no but, but maybe, yes. Okay, here yeah. we go. Uh, this is gonna be important, so, all right. Uh, um, doing archaeology in in my mind is like going on an adventure and i think if you're if you're not sure if you're going to enjoy it i'd say take that step and go see odds are you're gonna you're gonna love it or you're gonna love a part of it because not only is it exposure to the ancient world but you're going to be in a new country you're going to get to try new food you're going to meet new people you're going to experience new culture so if that's in any way something that's of interest to you you're going to find something that's going to make this a a really memorable and meaningful experience and so it's an avenue to get in to whether it's archaeology the ancient world but even into a broader culture cultural awareness uh, in outside of your normal experience perhaps yeah definitely
3: um and I think it's important to remember you don't have to be an archaeologist you don't have to be an archaeology student you can just be someone who's interested you can come and get involved and have one of the greatest, possibly one of the greatest summers of your life or winters, depending on when you come.
1: Yeah. And if you were to get one of those scholarships, that will buy a lot of shawarma. So oh, uh, I'll leave so you with that.
2: Shawarma, shawarma. <laughs> so
1: much shawarma. Mm. We'll, we'll leave you with that. And I would say, thanks again, Nathan, for coming on. And until next time, listeners, Keep digging.
0: You've been listening to OnScript's Biblical World podcast. If you enjoy this show, please show your support by giving us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can support the show by visiting OnScript.study/slash/donate. Until next time, keep digging.